Hi, you're listening to Oh Hey Heather, Tell Me a Story. Real stories, real experiences, by real people. I hope you enjoy. It's a rather windy day today, so... And it's just about time for everyone to start commuting home from work, so it might be a little loud, but I don't... Ah, I gotta get out, I gotta walk. Today is just one of those days where it's like... It wasn't even a bad day. That's not, it's not a complaint. It's, I was just thinking, you know, there are just days where I absolutely love to be educated. I love to stay informed. I actually learned some new things today, which I could really tell you are cool, but it, it's probably not interesting. But I'll, we'll see. We'll see if the story goes there. So I want to stay informed on all the things that aren't readily available to us. Fact, data, you know, receipts. Wouldn't you love to see receipts? I, uh, I thought about it, at, you know, with my corporate card, I have to, I'm missing two receipts. I got to get them turned in. And I know where they are. And I know who, because I, sometimes I just let other people use it because that's, it's needed. <laughs> so anyway, I'll get them. It's no big deal. But I was like, you know, we don't get receipts for anything. And so I just, I love to stay abreast, educated, listening to the stories of, you know, what's our strategy as a country, which there's 195 I've misquoted now in two stories I've told. But uh, apologize for that. Like I said, I'm trying to be as truthful and factual as possible, but have to disclaim when I'm not sure. And with this, I just like to learn, like, what's our strategy, because that's really what it comes down to is, this side has this strategy of we think it's okay to let anyone come in. We think it's okay to um, not ask any questions and allow them all to become naturalized in some way, shape, or form so that they can vote. We allow people to be missing. I was watching this show last night. Oh my gosh, you guys, check out this show. It's called The Atlas of, Cur- of Cursed Places. And uh, there was only four episodes. I got it out actually out of Hulu, but it's through Nat, National Geographic. So my daughter said Nat Geo actually will let you watch it there for free if you don't have a streaming offering of any kind. So anyway, I caught it because it was in reference to the episode of Morbid that I just listened to about the old doctor lady, uh, oh, I'm going to half pack her name, I want to say Julie, Julia, any from the bayou, she put a curse on the people, well they think it's a curse, I don't know that it was a curse guys, I think it might just have been a foretelling from her hoodoo priestess, uh, wise, like, I don't know that she made it happen. I think she might have just known. Again, that's totally debatable, but I would love everyone to think about it that way so that they don't accept that this is just the way it is. Uh, It's outside of New Orleans, and it's just the way it is that at the time of of air, which was November of 2020, so six, seven months ago, there were 87 current missing women and children unaccounted for. And 
the sex trafficking is bad. The murder rates are the highest of any other city. They will show you all of it. And they keep going back to this curse of like, well, is it her? Like, was it this curse? Because the bayou itself is shrinking. It's losing 25 square miles of swamp uh, per year. And then I know, I know, cynically thinking, oh, Heather, I bet you thought to yourself, well, wouldn't you wish we could lose that much swamp every year? Yes, I wish we could. Sadly, it just keeps getting trenched deeper and deeper, full of really greedy and narcissistic people that are letting all of us die. But 25 square miles a year of that bayou is uh, it's disappearing. And their belief is that it's to, you know, the curse. And the, I mean, when you hear the story, without a doubt, freaky as crap. However, was she predicting the future and not being listened to? I mean, if she was singing that on the porch all the time and everybody knew it, which her song was to the effect, uh, paraphrasing, but when I'm going to die, you're all going to die with me. And it was like the thing that she would just say over and over and over and over. But there's never any discussion of while she was sitting on that porch, and they give her good reviews. I mean, she was a great doctor. She healed people. She helped them make, you know, helped with sicknesses, did what she could for being in an area with no medical support or help. So no one said anything bad about her, just that for whatever reason, she made this curse. And I'm wondering if indeed she was just like, I got this vision and this is going to happen. Who knows? But when they were putting her into the ground the day of her funeral, they were hit by the hurricane of hurricanes and the whole place flooded and like, I don't even remember the number, but it was like a crazy amount of people died. And then they're saying that ever since then, nothing's been right, everything's been bad, blah, blah, blah. So again, here's what occurs is about. Then, oh my gosh, the next one. That next one is what just, I just haven't been right since I watched it. I even just put a passive statement in the comic section, comment section of Drew Barrymore's Instagram. Where she's smiling and happy and she's saying that she loves crosswords and she's got crossword puzzles in her magazine and by her magazine and she's wearing an outfit that was sewn up and it looks like a crossword puzzle fabric. And a year ago, I would have been like, you go, Drew. I've always liked her. Now, for the, the Drew part and other people I've been thinking about, like, for instance, I think Jennifer Garner is a wonderful person. I, I feel like I feel her vibe. I don't know. I, I just, I don't think it's fake. I could be surprised, but I, I really don't think so. I think she's a very resilient, fun, lighthearted, sweet, kind, adoring person. And I, I think that, sure, she's acted that way with a lot of roles, but it, it's, you can tell it's just a natural thing. And I mean, she's from West Virginia, so oh, that'd be wonderful if she could help, you know, start educating everyone who likes her and believes in her that where she's from is very similar 
to just, I don't even, I mean, think of a place and then put that in it. I, I, I just feel that there are so many places where people have had generation after generation, trauma after trauma, that it begins to evolve to where you don't really progress, you just exist. Yet you still find joy and hope and love and family and still live amongst those that are rather evil that still also have families. Um, you know, my aunt, she's a, she really is a, just a true angel on earth. Um, she spent, I believe, more than a decade uh, as a nurse in labor and delivery. And then she spent nearly 15 years as a hospice nurse. Now, even though she's at retirement age, and I wouldn't put her a day past 50, uh, and she is single, by the way. Talk about a package, oh my gosh, and she's gorgeous. But she witnessed so much in West Virginia, in those two places, that of which you help them come into the world and that of which you help them leave. And her stories are so beautiful that I just, one, wish I could discipline myself to prioritize a way to help write her stories for her, as I think I could do it. But it's quite a memoir and I think it's beautiful and we've even talked about that, but anyone could write her story if they wanted to and I'd love some help <laughs> because even if we write it, I don't know really what to do next, but it's all in who you know. Um, she's just told me stories, you know, where it's, you know, that baby's leaving that hospital. And I'm not saying this to be true of only West Virginia. I'm guessing that every single labor and delivery nurse can relate to it and knows knows a time and episode, maybe met multiple, who knows. And my husband who you know spent years as a family investigator sadly would be the person that gets called to make sure you take the baby to the the foster home after they've detoxed it enough to be discharged. I mean that's happening. Shouldn't be happening in the market we have, but it does. Um, I don't. I don't know what makes people decide to try that scary drug. And by that, what I mean is, like, there's lots of them. There's lots of people around. You know, I'm sure that the percentage of people that are doing that are. Um, in that predicament wouldn't have um, chose it or I don't know what I'm saying sorry I'm so distracted because there's a couple that walked past me on the street and they like, totally walked 
around the driveway into the grass. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Um, <laughs> anyway, I, I think that alcohol, like, probably everyone's going to try it at some point in time. And then you've got, like, okay, now there's going to be this, like, shorter group. This shorter group, they're going to be the ones to try out, you know, the, the grown stuff. And then there's been, it's like, it's almost like it gets into this little tiny group. It's like, oh, you want to put a needle in my arm in the back of this alley? Okay. But either way, someone made that decision. The interesting thing, though, is there are documented studies that show when people were in Vietnam, which, by the way, was the draft. I would also love to look at draft numbers by, you know, state and area and just see where it was all cooking back then when the uh, then-president of the United States was using his wife's MIC company to build all the helicopters. It's quite a profitable war. But anyway, the guys that were drafted, you know, 18, 19-year-olds, they're like, hey, you're going to leave on the state. Can't get out of it. Can't run away. Unless, you know, if you're like a few unspeakables that are in politics that figured out how to escape it. So, they had a high likelihood of taking heroin in Vietnam. I don't know the percentage. It was a study. I know it was discussed and out there, so I'm not making it up, but I don't want to get the numbers wrong, but there was just a, what they seemed a very high level of uh, abuse of heroin while they were serving in Vietnam. There's also a lot of sick, perverse stuff, too. Which, I'm really, really sad that Americans have done that, but, I mean, if you watch Platoon or any of the movies, it happened. But it's also happened on a grander scale, and it's happened to all of us. And in some places, even worse cases. Right now, while the clock's ticking. I think that occurs when... Like, a person has deemed a person not less than, like, less than them, so therefore not of matter or not of the same. I don't know how to explain it, but sometimes I think that's why we like our good guys to try to be humane, even though there's a small percentage of probably ruin that for us. But um, the point I'm trying to make is, is that when they came back, which, by the way, was a great welcome of protesters and being fond of people and screaming that we were, they were the bad guys and how dare you get drafted and forced into this war you never wanted to have jerks anyway, I'm obviously but that's basically what they did and I don't know how many they were because there were still a lot of people that supported them but it was kind of like the same gist we're living through now the media tells you to feel one way and all these celebrities are like do it, do it, do it and you're like okay, I agree it's not very humane and I'm being really mean to another human being but since you said so, it's cool and we don't have any facts. Yeah. There's the other differentiating, deciding factor. So, I'm thinking, of course you're doing heroin. What kind of an experience is that? And if that's what was readily available in Vietnam, and they're like, here it is, snort it up or do whatever. I, again, I'm not justifying it. Just saying, they're saying there was a high percentage of it. They were anticipating this huge boom of it when they returned. But here's what the drastic thing was. 
the majority of the people who were using it freely while in Vietnam returned home and didn't do it again. So, to me, that profound understanding, in fact, stresses to me that your environment and your opportunities and your coping mechanisms all reflect what vice you choose to put in your body at the time. Does that mean that if you walk into that really, really sad places of homelessness and despair and bad, like the sadness that you couldn't pluck somebody out of there and they'd never do it again? No, I don't know. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying maybe they should study. I'm sure they have, but we'll never know if they did. Like study those people that came back and were like, no, and understand that they utilized the vices they had at the time to get through the situations they were in, perhaps. And it makes me think back also to a coworker that I've spoken with who just really let her let her heart show, you know, and talking about what was on her heart. She was telling me that her her son, which her children are very young adults, early twenties. Her son is at in, in his third stint of rehab, and this time they put him down in, in one in Florida, and it's a very long one that actually rehabilitates them all the way through becoming a self-sufficient, full-time working contributor of society, and he's actually at the level of independent living with a support system of other people at that level of success. And he is working. And she's, she said, you know, one, financially they're, they're spent. But they wish they would have done this first because the really high-end expensive ones that were available in our region, which was two, and we're talking for an area of over a million people. Uh, he was in his environment. He he would do well while in the tightness of the program of being, you know, locked in and processing. But he would go back when he came home. And this is the first time that she feels like she's got a hope that her son is back. But she said that she also knows that there's a lot of healing to be done before then and that this is like the best prayer to be answered even though they're not around one another and she misses him desperately. She's found that while he was actively abusing and using, his younger sister was witness to possible things that she doesn't even know because he was bringing people into the home you know, shady is what, and the daughter actually had requested at one point to have a lock on her door. So she said, you know, he's in a safe, strong place, 
And I know that if he comes here, he won't be again. And this is also time for my daughter to heal by feeling safe again in her own home. And uh, it's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. And, and here's the thing is, I don't know what makes people do it that first time. But it's, it's, it's probably not curiosity. I mean, I'm just going to make the assumption that it's, I need something more strong or something. I don't, I don't know. But here's the other thing. Because of the, the pills, you know, the opioids and synthetics, That's, this is the funniest part about that. They call it hillbilly heroin. Opioids are called hillbilly heroin because they make fun of the hillbillies. Like, even if you watch the Wild Whites of West Virginia, they're shaking this bottle like, oh, that's a hillbilly mating call. How is it that the poorest, oppressed, sick state of all of our states 38th in medical opportunity. So heavily laden with pain medication that you have to get prescribed to you. Like, not cheap. How is it just everywhere? And like prescribed in like 60 a dose and This should be called like white collar fancy drug. You know, don't have to mess with the needles or the the smoke or, you know, any of that. It's just one nice pill in the morning. And I've noticed the one generation, the generation that were adults in the 70s, they have accepted pharmaceuticals and don't see that as a vice that you could compare to those who binge alcohol or take drugs or shopaholic or bulimia or because just because you need two Xanax every day to function does not mean you have a problem. Quote you not. But no smoking, no drinking, you know. So I just think generationally I, I believe we were raised with ideals of understanding that you know, they were they were when the boom of pharmaceuticals was finally starting to rear its really ugly head of every single side effect that known to man and bankrupting homes by the thousands. But anyway, hillbilly heroin is opioids. And there was a an undercover reporter that was on Joe Rogan. His name was Ben something. He actually went undercover to China, and it's a very wonderful discussion. I don't want to spoil it. Just hear it for yourself. But one of the main points I took away from it was that, yes, China is making synthetic fentanyl, and, yes, they are peddling it through Mexico and over the border, and it is leaking into what we think is a safe drug, meaning you could take an opioid thinking that it's an opioid and it's an opioid laced with synthetic fentanyl and you will die. And then everyone will say, well, he just ODs. Everybody just ODs. 
Wow. It's a little scary, isn't it? So, one, if you don't mind taking pills, please, for the love of goodness, get them legally or from someone you trust. Um, but back to the vices part. What I what I was getting at is, if we could just start seeing it as a vice, albeit a very dangerous vice, but one indeed, instead of a factor in their, um, you know, their, I say like life story thing, and. Just help them get off of it instead of treating them like they're criminals. Although, because of the withdrawal and desire for it, it definitely brings out the criminal in a lot of people. So that's why that's your own deal. Like if you're committing crimes, can't help you, bro, sister, whoever, can't help you. But... It is a core of creating that in people that may or may not have prior or accelerating those that would have been prone to anyway. So I think that if you are a dealer who knows exactly where you're sourcing your drugs from and it happens to be any of those kinds that are deadly, you get life sentence, no questions asked. And we're going to need protection so that people are not bringing it willy-nilly everywhere through. Because I don't know about you guys, but... We are probably in the lowest mental state of a company, a country as we have been, at least in my lifetime, of dull, dismal fighting division, weird craziness, stay inside, lock up, wear face stuff. Every, no one is safe. Everyone stay away from each other. And have a surge of drugs? Like, what? How is all of that going to work out? Sorry, it's a very popular night on the trail. I just want action, impact, love, concern. I want to I just I want to help people. I don't want things to be the way they are. And I want us to figure out how to make us all better, not thin us out, make us sick and unable to reproduce. <laughs> Which, come on guys, let's, let's be honest here. Don't you feel like that's what's happening? Guys, are 50% less reproductive than they were in the 70s. Um, infertility is at an all-time high. we got other stuff going on, and I'm not going to get into this whole vax debate. I just want you to be really open and honest and think about it and ask for statistics and studies of pregnant women and women of pregnancy age and those on birth control. And just... Let's, let's get some answers just so we know, because we have to know. Right now, we're both guessing on the other side, and we don't know. So let's just both agree that heads or tails, we just want the truth, like legit. 
raw data. We'll crunch it ourselves and make our own decisions. I don't care. We'll, we'll let the world's best of the best slice it, dice it, and point out and debate it and help us figure out what the best means for it is. So that's my thought. And then we can all be like, oh, okay, makes sense. And then follow that, whatever. So I was at this uh, meeting and oh, I don't even know. Uh, I'll save it, it's fine. How about instead, I'm gonna go back to Actually, no. Here's my question. Because this is a question I ask myself a lot and I have no answer because I go back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. With the way AI is going and the slow release of truths of the 60s, 70s, 50s even, like CIA mind control studies, like LSD and all that crap, I mean, we all know, like, there, there, there's witnesses, like, yeah, I, I work third shift. And it's quite possible that in our future, we could have a choice to go into a one-time trial to, to reset all of the pain, bad, guilt, things that make you have voice, vices, like, to help rehabilitate, like, to be healthy, or... Is it like Men in Black, where they like wipe it, and because you're getting rid of that, you lose all the other stuff that goes with it? Because even though I hate that heavy armor I've worn for so long that gets lighter and lighter as I shed and shed and shed and shed, but I remember that heavy, and uh, I want that to go away. But at the same time, it's that heavy. And those moments of true times, whether like you hear the story or not, I did think I was possibly going to die. Like just a couple of times. And, you know, looking back and reflecting on it and the situations, I still think I'm kind of right. And at those moments in time, God was there and and I knew it was going to be okay and I was going to get through it. I just had to get through it. And I would be like, I don't even know. I would go into this like place of just quiet and everything around me would go quiet and then I wouldn't hear anything. And then because I couldn't hear anything, I could run and then I did. And everything worked out. But it wasn't until that calmness overwhelmed me and that feeling came that reaffirmed everything that is why I am today. So do I really want to wipe it all if I got to wipe it all? I don't think so. I want to use it for something though. Like I need it validated. I need it to be true. I need it to make sense. I need it to be worth something. I mean, is all of this stuff really worth just me evolving through my journey? Or is it in a way a gift that's going to help more people, even people I don't even know, acknowledge their journey as their story and not be ashamed of it, but rather use it as a lesson to validate why 
you think something is wrong so that you can speak up. You have experienced it. You know it. You see it. You do it. Therefore, you have a case and you have a stake in this game. And I need you to help me and I need you to speak up because I want to make all this worth it. Let's make it worth it. Let's do it. And there you have it, another episode of Oh Hey Heather. I hope it has made you think of a story of your own, or how you could relate to this one, or if anything, just something you could enjoy. Thanks everyone, and have a great one.